Land acknowledgements are often presented in shared spaces where we gather in person. But on a podcast, we recognize that each one of us occupies space on Indigenous land. We call on you, our listeners, to acknowledge that Indigenous people are the original inhabitants and caretakers of this land and have distinctive and sovereign rights and responsibilities that are directly connected to the land, community, culture, and knowledge. With this in mind, please take time to find out what territory you are on at native-land.ca and support our amazing Indigenous firecrackers like Jennifer Podemski, who started the Shine Network to support female Indigenous filmmakers. Find out more about her and donate to her community at shinenetwork.ca. Thank you. everyone, I'm Naomi Snegas and my co-host. And I'm Amanda Bruegel. Yay! Oh, and this I've is... interrupted you. No, this is how it's going to work because we are doing the very first episode of the very first season of The Blaze Sessions brought to you by the Firecrackers Department. I'm going to get a little blurb. You know, I'm excited. I'm a little sweaty. I feel just honestly, Amanda, I don't even care if we record this. I just want to hang out with you. So this is just all an excuse. But I am recording though, right? Oh yeah, no, you are recording, so it's good. So for those of you who don't know, Firecracker Department started about five years ago. We did about 150 episodes where I interviewed amazing female non-binary artists about their life and their challenges and victories as artists. And um, I just had these great masterclasses with all these uh, amazing artists. And then we developed a community. And so since Firecracker Department started the podcast, it's now like... uh, We have a writing department, we have a mentorship department, we have a regular brunch that everybody meets on Sundays, and in like a writing gym, um, we do a regular TIFF party. See that segue. Now, at the TIFF party, we always give away a couple of awards. One of them is the Red Point Award, which goes to somebody over 50 that is killing it, not only in their career, but in their community. That went to Jennifer Holness last year. And the other one is the Blaze Award, and the Blaze Award goes to somebody that is not only like a diverse artist like doing things like like writing and and directing and acting and hosting and all these different things but they're also a great community leader so that award has gone to people like Jan Arden, Michelle Buteau, Joe Vanicola and then last year it went to the one and only Amanda Brugal. so this is how we are here now so we thought wouldn't it be fun to do like the Blaze Award plus like um, a short mini series curated by the Blaze Award winner. So here we are, uh, Amanda Bruegel. What was it like? Tell me a little bit about like the Blaze Award and that whole experience. It was wonderful. You know, I remember going to uh, the award ceremony that uh, Jan won the Blaze Award mm-hmm. that year. And I remember thinking, this is so cool. And I would love to win a Blaze Award. And you know, when you're in a position in life where you don't think you'll ever get to it and then cut to you a couple of years later, yeah. I wanted it was so emotional and nice and we were surrounded by such a lovely community and you, the what you've cultivated with the firecracker department is so wonderful Nay, it's wow. so beautiful and the energy is uh just it's wonderful people were crying we have a guest coming up i don't want to spoil who it is and one of our guests was crying because of how beautiful the energy was and we just don't have a lot of community like this particularly in this country so it was an honor Well, I mean, let's also say like this, this as our first one, I'm very excited. So please allow me to apologize now for interrupting anything because I'm so excited. I want to like get to everything. But having you part like, I mean, the amount of like firecracker folks that came from the community were like, oh, my God, Amanda Bruegel. And I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that you inspire people, but your presence there and your words, people were weeping. People were hugging for the first time since the pandemic. It was a pretty, it was pretty special. And everybody like, did everybody looked great, but not uncomfortably great. Do you know what I mean? Everybody was like yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We're about to get into that soon. Do you not find the world's opening back up and now everyone's uncomfortably looking great again? I mean, look, I'm doing a podcast with Amanda Bruegel, who I think is one of the most fashion conscious, fashion forward people. So I'm like, what do I wear? How do I even, I can't compete. I can't what compete. Are you Look wearing? at you. You're wearing a moose Look, shirt. I'm wearing like an elk sweater and then my track pants. Who's kidding who? 
But the other day we had brunch together with our guest and you saw me and you're like, oh, I love what you're wearing. And I'm like, mentally, I'm like, I'm never going to wear anything else other than what Amanda said I looked cool in. (laughs) It's the truth. Hey, Naomi, guess what? Let's hear a word from our sponsors. I love clothes. And I think that's pretty obvious, but I love Canadian owned brands particularly, and it's hard to find them sometimes, but not anymore because Mick is a Canadian women owned fashion brand that makes everything locally in small batches. And I mean everything, even their tailored blazes and pants are made from the same soft and stretchy fabric as their leggings. That's what they're known for, their leggings, and they're great. They're durable, eco-friendly fabrics that don't fade, pill, or lose their shape. And every month they host live online shopping events where the Mick team models new styles on different shapes and sizes right on their socials and website. So right now, get 15% off of your first purchase of any regularly priced items using the code BLAZE15 on mick.ca. Again, that's BLAZE15. And something else, this is a sneak peek from me, fashion lover. I highly recommend the Emily blazer or the Sienna blazer. At least the two leggings, uh, the Pearl or the Steph open back jumpsuits. I could go on. There's some of the best selling styles there. You have to go check them out. Once again, that's mick.ca, M-I-I-K.ca. And now back to the show. All right, let's jump in there. Sure? let's jump in. Let's jump it. Yeah. Well, uh, just a bit of background on, on the guests that I've curated. Uh, every single human being that we will interview in this series is uh, fantastic at the top of their game, dynamic, uh, a, a powerhouse, amazing, accomplished, decorated. But this first guest embodies all of that and more. And this is why she's our first, because she's the best one for now. That's interrupting and being mean to everybody else, but she really is a super cool one. Uh, She believed that she could fly when she was five years old. So she made wings out of a Saturday morning comic, jumped off of her veranda and landed in a bush. If you know who it is, not yet, you will. She's a multi-award winning actress and writer and producer. She graduated from London's RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Well, she's known for comedy. She's played a Greek heroine at Dalhousie. She's appeared in verse plays by Friedrich Schiller in Edinburgh and Austria. She co-created one of the most iconic sketch shows in North America, Baroness Von Sketch. She's currently the lead of Pretty Hard Cases. She is brave and unwavering and empathetic and uh, just a firecracker in herself, a live wire, Meredith McNeil. Meredith! Ba-ba! Ba-ba! Video. Oh, shit. Sorry. Are we allowed to swear? Oh, God. Uh, I got yeah. it. Yeah, you can swear. Enjoy <sighs> yourself. Oh my gosh, look at us. But I feel like I didn't live up to the intro with my shoddy camera work just there. But uh, I'm so happy. You didn't say you were like an expert Zoomer. I didn't say DOP. No. Yeah. No, no, fair. Fair. I'm so excited to be here that I even contemplated. Okay, so I definitely showered. And then I was like, sat down because I'm not so good at uh podcasts like zoom and how it all works look and then I was like I wanted to wear this thing because of sweatiness but then I was like I forgot to shave but I'm in this whole world of like let it go let it happen yeah so I just don't anymore yeah and then because Mm -hmm. I'm over 45 now I don't know if you started to notice this thing and I'm a hairy girl uh pale skin dark hair own it that I don't feel like I have as much hair as I used no. to. Like, so no. like same, same thing. Anybody? I don't know if you write into a podcast or what or firecracker, but let's just have this. Yeah. Let's have this poll. Men and women, women. No, no, because men start right, getting the no hair. Like I've obviously have a lot of this, but other hair mm-hmm. like leg hair, armpit hair. Yeah, mine not as not as much. However, it has been replaced by chin hair. For me, oh, yeah. at least. Yeah, no, not like a full but that's beard, like that's but been like, going on for ages. I went to Lithuania and I saw full bearded women. I was like, that's my future. I love this chin hair conversation, but there's so much more about it. I mean, we could talk for an hour about chin hairs for sure, Z's. Yeah, yes. but we were right. We're not at brunch with mimosas, we get it. So. That's right. That's for next yeah. weekend. Um, but I'm curious. Okay, so are we going to go back? I'm going to go back because 
I know you're okay. from Halifax. I know Big we all know that you went to um, Rada. And my yeah. thinking is like, this little kid that thought she could fly, how does how does she get to Rada? Like, what's the impetus that you didn't were like, you know, screw Toronto, screw Vancouver, I'm going to the UK? Well, I honestly didn't really know the other cities existed. And that's not like far off of the lie. Uh, I am from, I went to university in Halifax, but I'm from uh, Amherst slash Picto. Got to get both towns in there. And I think what it was is when I was little, these two unbelievable women uh, started a community theater at, in our town and they introduced me to the classics. And one of them, Beverly True, introduced me to Shakespeare really young in like uh, classic literature. And I heard the name of the school, Rada, from them. It was the first time. Oh. And, he, and I was like seven or eight, maybe nine. and. Uh, it's that thing when you're a kid, I'm sure you almost have it, where you just are like, you know, no top on, velour shorts, dirty cowboy boots. And you're just like, yeah, probably go there. That confidence yeah, that you yeah. have as a kid of like, yeah. someone said you were good at something, like you're really good at riding your bike, probably mm-hmm. being a dirt biker then for the rest of my life. I remember it being that simple and having that much belief. And it's something I've always tried to carry as life, sort of like, knocks you down or you get told other things that moment of that pure just acceptance of that was where I was going to go is something I try and go back to so that's how I heard about it and then it wasn't until university I didn't even know about the national theater school I was so razor focused on this one school Mm -hmm. it was just like uh, so it was always so and it was yeah it wasn't until I was like nine, eighteen, nineteen 18 19 that I heard about schools in Toronto or national theater school but by that time it felt like it was too late it was like well sorry too late it's like I've yeah, your child, your inner time. child. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea that you kept the. You still try to weave in the confidence of that that inner child. And I read somewhere, I think it was a Walrus article, that you said that you um you can only succeed once you failed first. Is that part of the like keeping your just knowing how to guide your confidence? Because I feel you're very good at guarding your beliefs in yourself like you're very good at it so is it failing first in order to keep that childhood confidence successful or or safe god you're smart that's a great question yeah that's why i got it Meredith. otherwise i'd be talking about you know chin hair still so thank god for Uh, you know what i think it comes from a place of survival in terms of if we just Mm -hmm. go to self-esteem and the damage that can do on anyone especially a young woman um, not feeling like you don't fit in or you don't belong for a multitude of reasons, whether it just be scholastically looks wise or anything, just what people choose to say about you externally. I think that I was fortunate enough to accept oddly that failure and the freedom within that and what that truly means. I think I understood really young that if I could just learn that that's my friend, that that's Mm. a place that I don't have to be afraid of. I'm being judged so highly anyway. Is this space really that bad? And then learning was like the secret that I had as a young kid and a young woman that I knew that if lots of great stuff happens in there, it's not what people think. So I think you're right. I wow. think it's both. I think it was a conversation I had very young to protect myself from life and from the hits yeah. that come your way. Uh, and then I think it was developing like a friendship with it. I felt like I it was like a not an imaginary friend, but I felt like it was a safe space. And then what started to happen, the payback became unreal. Mm-hmm. The payback. Yeah. Uh, learning how to keep moving forward. It's not like you fail and you're like, that didn't hurt or embarrass me, or I wish I'd rather ate a hot turd than that happened. But the fact that I didn't let it keep me there and then what there was to learn from it. And so that I felt and still feel that all my best work comes from a place of 60 tries first. Mm -hmm. And that I think is being comfortable in failure. I don't know how you both 
Uh, I mean, I, I think that's gorgeous. I'm the complete opposite where the idea of failure paralyzes me to a point where I want to die. It's not that I don't, but mm -hmm. projecting success at every turn is my MO. It's probably, it's definitely the way I was raised. So I think I've always admired you for just being so open about it. It's not that I don't fail. You're just, you have, you have such a healthy relationship mm -hmm. with the concept of failure that I feel most, most artists try to bury or hide or do something wacky to overcompensate for it. And you are so clear cut and me doing my research for you, you're so clear cut and being like, yeah, it sucks. I'll fall down, but I'll pick myself back up. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's beautiful. I don't. Oh my God. I, You're so lovely. And also like, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just felt like I was so bad at stuff. I just didn't have a choice. And I'm, I'm trying to be really careful <laughs> not to shit on myself too much, but I was never really great first kick at the can. I just wasn't. And I, and, and the option was stay in my town. I didn't do that great at school. Like it was kind of also this thing that I just had to be good at was failing. Cause it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, Mary's going to be great at this. And even on the Baroness or on pretty hard cases, one of the reasons I had to accept of like, I'm great at fear is because literally everyone's going to be like, what the F was that choice? And if you live in that terrible choice you made and you know that feeling, everybody listening, yeah. do you guys know that feeling where you, it's just like, it's like you've, you've yep. just like turned yourself inside out. But what if, yep. just what if you say to yourself, yeah, but now who cares? Because now yeah. that's, yeah. it's yeah. like, and the, I don't know about anyone else, but I feel like I'm 90. Everybody write in. Tell me how you feel. <laughs> but like, oh my God, I'm the PO box number. By that, like, that moment where you have that fucking panic. Mm -hmm. I feel about my F-bombs. I'm sorry. I want to know, like, for me, I just went, eh, it wasn't so bad. Keep going. You can't sit in it. Yeah, I think that's a muscle. Like, I, I'm kind of in the between the two of you where I know... I used to be like a risker, like an improv yeah. world. I'd be like, just jump in, just try it. And then somewhere along the lines, I started getting safe or scared or I don't know, maybe my vanity, maybe my ego got too like cautious. And now I'm in a place I'm like, I got to work that muscle again. That muscle's all like limp and flabby. I got to like get it back up because I see the work you do. And, you know, there's quotes of like fearless and live wire and like just I can see like saying that you're not, you were addicted to risk doesn't surprise me. It's just something that you learned way earlier than a lot of people. Well, it's just like, yeah, uh, you guys are so hugely successful and, you know, such huge successes in different ways. And then in the same way, in the way that you move through life that I'm sure you've touched on failure. It's hard to believe that your failure muscles are flabby. Yeah, because it's a different kind of failures, though, both, right? Like, I know. Can we just say it? flabby failure muscle? That <laughs> I don't know. But like, when you, Amanda or and then like when you guys have been on stage or on set and it hits, we've had it. Yeah. Uh, if you care to share, obviously, if not, we'll go back to my chin hairs and armpit hair to flecked. Um, but if you care to share, do you guys remember moving through a moment recently where you're like, I got to push on through? Yeah. Yeah. To like two weeks ago. But that, I guess in saying that the failure muscles are flabby is, is that I don't muscles. embrace. No, I'll, I don't know. I still risk. It's just my, your initial response to failure, Meredith, if I'm hearing it correctly, is sort of just to, it, it impacts you. It doesn't hurt you any less, but you, you don't give it as much bandwidth. Mm. Like you don't stay in it. You're like, ow, that hurt. it hurt, but like, let's move on. Let's keep going. Yeah. I, it hits me. I bury it. And then use it, I bury it, and then the facade is up and everything's perfect. And then I go home and then I use it to self-deprecate myself and 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 torture myself for about two weeks after. You know, we gotta get you to that. We've got to get you to that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I mean about flabby failure muscles. It's not that I don't, I can't, I don't. It's that I will not acknowledge it in the moment because I can't possibly fail. So right. can I ask you, so Meredith, when you got to RADA, do you feel like you're the voice of what we know now? Because I look at things like, um, like Man Stroke Woman, who, what you did, that you did that in the UK. And then yeah. I look at Baroness, which is another of the sketch yeah. shows. And yeah. I feel like your voice was already developed. Like, do you feel like your voice was already secure when you got to RADA? Well, this is a funny thing about getting older. Uh, <laughs> the old me in my 20s, I'd be like, no, no, we're <laughs> No weren't. But I honestly do believe that the best, oh gosh, I'm mean, like the most 
hated guest. I'm going to sound like an arsehole. Nope. Not um, not I, I feel like before I would say no, and I developed my voice, but I think with the work that we do or the work that we're trying to do, whether it be like writing, producing, creating, uh, that the close thing we have, and it, I mean, I was stand-up Sasuke, so I'm not like method, but the thing that I found the most success in besides failure is how close can we get to the truth? And I don't mean like that's mimosa time. We already had that. I'm not going to do that completely on the podcast, but I realized as I've gotten older that the truth and how you see the world is when for me was when I was really young and that impact and that going through life. And then I, I have found that I first I would say, no, I didn't have my voice, but as I get older, I'm like, oh no, I did. I'm just less afraid to use it. Mm. I'm oh. less afraid to say like, oh, I don't know, or ask the question. And I think that's having a voice too. And I think when man stroke woman and coming out of Rada and the pressure that that had on me and the effect that that had was extreme. And I was kind of what you were talking about, Amanda, namely like failure had a different meaning because the pressure at that time. And I used the school to fail. So I mm-hmm. used my training to practice failing there. But then when I got to TV, it was like a whole new, I had to relearn failure again for the television. Mm. I had to refail again. Mm. But then as I got older, I'm like, oh no, it's all the same. I'm just relearn. I'm just accepting that I see the world this way, going back, telling the truth in the way that life has impacted me. So if we're going to write a part or play a part where we fall in love, right? And it's a new love and it's never, our body has certain ways. There's a bit of method. There's a bit of creating, but it's that freedom of like, it's not like it's learning a new voice, but it's like, well, what is my voice? What is that voice? What is that voice? Especially as a young woman and a woman. And I think the way we grew up that you're never really allowed to have be smaller, say less. So we don't, it's really exciting time to be an artist and a woman Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. sometimes we're allowed to have more space and really be like, okay, this is what I, this is what I think I met back then, or this is what Mm. it looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. And I think with Manstroke Woman. It makes total sense. Yeah. And then I think with the Royal Academy and Manstroke Woman that I was around, I was so fortunate coming from where I came from that I understood that this was a rare opportunity and even though I talk a lot, yes, so I am talking. Um, I understood the power of like listening, collaboration, acceptance, and was in a world where at the time England seemed like the way they approached their art, their artistries was different than Canada. So, mm-hmm. and Mansfield wasn't a writer or creator. I just wasn't, I, I shouldn't say just, I was an actor and it was one of my first comedy gigs because I was classically trained. But yes, it had an impact on the way I had a vision for Baroness. Can I add something? Because I spoke to our friend Rick Cantor, who directed you in Manstroke One. And he he said, I said, what what do you what do you what can you tell me about Meredith from that time? And she he said that you are a wildly creative bundle of energy who brought only positive energy and hilarious improv to the set. And that sometimes you got slotted into, he used the words like the bonkers, the bonkers one. And it's a shame because a lot of those roles were given to you when actually you have great depth and range, mm-hmm. which, I mean, we love Rick Cantor, but where did you find like that chance to get into a deeper? Cause I, I mean, one of the things I love, I mean, I love you so much, but watching you on pretty hard cases, fell in love with you on Baroness, of course. And then pretty hard cases, you're like, oh yeah, I'm funny, but check this out. Gunk. And then I'm like, oh, what my heart? I didn't know. So tell me about that process for you. Well, one top tip we all know first, I didn't create pretty hard cases, but create your own show because you get to do what you want for the most part. So Baroness was like an extension of like telling stories that we all wanted to tell and in different ways and allowing yourself to like go to spots uh, that you might not normally be sort of like allowed to do. Um, Obviously, it's not the depth of Pretty Hard Cases. And then I had the, uh, I was fortunate enough to get asked to do Pretty Hard Cases. And then they created a character of like a real woman that has some hard time. So yeah, it was like really freeing because I feel like you can, I mean, I'd love to hear what you both think of this, but sometimes I feel that it's, you can be easily boxed in your artistry. And uh, my experience in Canada has been as much as I love creating over here and I want to continue to do it that even though 
I'd only done Baroness really in pretty hard cases, but it's 22 minutes. I knew that it was a gift of a part to jump from a half hour sketch to a one hour. To be bought and I to be boxed as Meredith does sketch or Meredith the yeah. comedian to be able to, you know, I knew I have more and I want to do more. So it was a real opportunity. So when those moments came that, you know, Sam's upset her son is leaving. I was like, go on, do it. Do it. I'm going <laughs> to dive right in. Love it, love it. Yeah. Like all the things that people hate about actors. I was like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to, I don't give a yeah. in shit. I'm going to act the mother F and enjoy every moment of it. So it was a way to go back. Was that a, obviously the conscious thing? You know, you're talented, but I'm. I, I want you to be honest. Was, was there a moment when you had sort of your first dramatic scene, not your first like wild, crazy, absurd situation scene, but when you had your first grounded, dramatic scene in front of the crew that hadn't really known that side of you? Was there a part of you that was like, "Hold on, hold on, wait to see what's going to happen," because oh, there's because you know you can do it. I want to know. Be honest. Oh, oh my God. I, I listen, man. I'm telling you about armpit hair, arsehole hair. I'll talk about it all. Um, yeah, so there was two things. One, like the night before, like I talk with this fearlessness, but I'll be honest with you. So um, my anxiety lives in my stomach. So like I'll throw up. I'll be so scared. And I also makes me work like a mother effort. So there is my failure is my best friend and there is fearlessness, but there is also it makes you like Fear makes me work to a point where I cannot. So that if I am failing, it does. Maybe everyone else thinks I'm failing, but I'm like, yeah, well, this is the best I can do. And I know it because I couldn't have stayed up or puked anymore. Also, I don't think that is healthy. As I say, by the way. Yeah, if I you're am- throwing up, that might be a sign that. It's so before a dramatic, <laughs> I mean, so for more, before a dramatic thing, it's both. I would be like, get myself because it's not like I'm in I felt I ever felt like I was inherently talented I think I it was hard work and creates luck and all of that kind of stuff so before a dramatic scene I'm trying to think of one well there's anyway before a dramatic scene in general especially the first season there'd be a bit of both there'd be a bit of like doing a lot of work like weeks before what are we doing? Like just making sure I nailed it. Lots of talks before I came on set, like ready, ready. So that when the moment came to fail, and I say the most glorious, like to be in the moment, it was what you said, Amanda. I'd be like, yeah, everyone. <laughs> I put my time in. I got, and also the great Canadian television. So you'd be like, I got two takes to do this shit. <laughs> I got two takes and I'm going to lay it. And <laughs> <laughs> the great thing is to slay it in Canada, I feel in these moments, and I don't know, and I refer back to you both. You can't take your time. You want to pause? You oh, better no. earn it. You better earn it. You have to act like, yeah, you've got to come to set. And that was the other great thing about Pretty Hard Cases was I was around talent that was superior to mine, that had way more experience in this type of uh, like in stage I had done all the Shakespeare's all the dramas but I had never on television been allowed to do huge dramatic moments so I had obviously the incredible oh, yeah. goal Adrian Moore's epic um Karen Robinson but yes yeah, so when I get there I, mean, I had to be like I got two takes and I'm probably win <laughs> like in my mind <laughs> Plus, didn't you, you told me that you you chose to like make Sam like a rattler like a like a fast talker too oh yeah Yes. Just to make your life just a little bit more challenging. Yeah, I just thought it would be, well, they re- had written these huge procedural, I'd never done a procedural and I didn't really understand uh, how I would be good at that. Because whenever they helped me the part, I'd be like, are you sure? I mean, I, I want it, but yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I feel like I'm an odd choice, <laughs> but I'm taking it. But yes, I think one of the reasons was, was that they, there was such procedural language and I thought, well, what is the most... I just felt like I got to act the crap out of everything. So I just like, what's the most interesting choice for procedural text was this woman that talked a mile a minute with perfect diction. (laughs) While standing on her head with a funny Australian accent. (laughs) Yeah. Did you guys ever feel though, when you hit the stage or camera that you would have those moments where you were a bit like, step back, I've done my work. I've got this. I mean, if I did, it scared the hell out of me because I'd be like, I don't. Like, I'm going to be like, I got this. And then, boop. <laughs> Do a bomb. Amanda, did you ever have um, uh Yes. Yeah. 
What was that? The show, but that Amanda? came with the uh, uh, handmaids, a uh, dark matter yeah. that I'm doing. But that has nothing to do. Uh, nothing to do with talent. It's it, uh, truly it's motherhood. I think the things that I've overcome as a mother gave mm -hmm. me confidence in a moment that I can do anything. I remember being on a soundstage in CBS and I got a pilot and it was the follow-up to Will and Grace. And the whole cast of Will and Grace was there. Steven Spielberg was in the audience. Megan Fox was in the audience. I was so fucking nervous. It was with the, um, uh, the writers of Will and Grace and it was like live sitcom. And I was so nervous and I remember doing it and doing it well and I didn't get fired and thinking, that's as high as I fly. Like I, I can do anything now. And then slowly my confidence was chipped away. But I think after having kids and raising kids, just the act of just giving birth, come at me. Right. I can do anything. Right. Come at me. Not from a point of talent, but a point of, I dare you. I got this because I have a whole life in here that I can just, just whisper. You made a couple of lives. Enough about me. I would like to know more about your writing because I don't think we've touched on that enough. Okay. You have, how many scripts? Uh, how many scripts do you have going on right six, now? Sixteen scripts 18, in development. Twenty-five. I know. Is that? I think it's the same. Just wait. Before we go into writing, I'm going to talk about the writing. I just want to touch on the mother. Let's just agree right now. We're going to go over time because I got questions still. Let's just push on. We're going to push on. Yeah, we're going to do good. I just want to do one motherhood thing, and then we're going to get into writing because yeah. that's I want to talk about it. But just going on one motherhood thing. One. I know one motherhood thing is obviously dare, how dare we talk about that. Um, <laughs> Do you feel the freedom in your craft of not caring comes from, partly comes from what's happening at home and how important that is to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You? Yeah. And it's that thing where I think sometimes, and whether you have kids or not, just like your home life or the life that you've built for yourself outside of your art, I think it's always like this duality right people always talk about it in this separate way and I'm like well I don't actually kind of like we're talking about failure I was like kind of what you said really inspired me wow Amanda's right what's happening at home for her is feeding her to be a better yeah. artist more confident and self-loving and kinder to herself and actually learning yeah. to take more risk and it's coming from like a place of like self-love and like what you've built mm -hmm. at home and your children and your motherhood and your journey with that and so that's what I mean by the question yeah. of it's funny that people say, well, it's this or it's this, or I, I can't get to work. It's hard for me to get to work. And I'm like, yeah, but if you bring them two together, it actually feeds into mm -hmm. one another. That's right. what it sounded like. Yeah, that sounds like no matter what's going on, you, you have it feed you as opposed to block you. Like some people, yeah. I don't have kids, but some people it's like, oh, I, I can't because I got the kids and, and the family and blah, blah, blah. But why not use those things to infuse the art that you're creating? Yeah, like having Hazel and because Baroness started when I came home. I don't talk about very often, but like uh, when I came home and had to live with my parents at 36 and have a baby. And I have to sing it because that's how everyone should live their life. I tell you what, <laughs> you're a hot date <laughs> when you come home and live with your parents at 36 with no money and a kid. People <laughs> want to get with that. Um, and you know what? They should want to get with that. But that made like. All of the things that should have hindered me to create whatever success looks like or financial creative artist success is what made it. Right. So when yes. people struggle and, and, and Amanda, when you were talking about like home and then just the confidence that you had of like, oh, I cared a bit less. Yeah. You know, yes. about stuff that gets yeah. in your way. I just find that exciting. Do you also find that you, do you catch yourself I think another part of it is that I would be giving my children life advice that was uh, almost contradictory to how I was living or hypocritical, where I was like training them, giving them life advice for them in school and their confidence and how they navigate the world mm -hmm. as this like sort of entity of perfection and advising them. But I wasn't following my own advice. And so yeah. there would be times on set that I would hear myself or, or I would react to things and think, what would I tell, what would the mother version of me tell myself as a child? Like, I also need to mother myself. I also need, I need to apply to myself the same advice that I'm applying to my children and, and then live it truthfully. I can't tell them to do one thing and not try to do it myself. So that really, as my children are aging and I'm starting to give them more real advice, I'm finding I'm applying it more to myself and having more grace for myself. Oh my God, that's true. That is so true. I love that. It's true. And so like, unless that, unless... 
if they don't see you taking care of yourself or treating yourself well, no, just send them to the matter, It doesn't matter what you tell them. It doesn't matter what you tell them. If they do not see yeah. their mother treating themselves or going after their goals, their dream. Yeah. And it is really weird when you give advice to someone, a child or a best friend, and then you're doing the, ex- and you catch yourself doing the opposite. You're like, Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oops. I forgot about me. Um, well, right, I think that's so. why I didn't have kids. I, I do want to ask you about process, but I think that's why I didn't have kids. Cause I was like, I can't look after everybody. This is a lot. This is a lot to look after. I can't be oh anybody's my. role model. Come on now. It's <laughs> not true. I, okay, so, listen, I got to ask you about process because one of the things, you know, with the Blaze sessions that Amanda and I talked about leading up to this, we we're like, we're really mm-hmm. keen on hearing actors and artists talk about their process because we don't often talk about that. And um, in fact, when I reached out to our community, people like Pau Carranza and Emily Milling asked about your 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 process like when you get auditions when you get a character physically how do you get into it can you talk a little bit about that and pull back so funny mcneil curtains well it's funny as soon as you said how do you get into it this was the initial reaction as the girl that's like really brave it's it's, i live in fearlessness i don't (laughs) i live in angst i just try to make my best buddy i was about this is the physical reaction that i wanted to have and he said how do you do your process was this For those that are just listening, it's me hunched over with my face and my um, uh, It changes every time. But the one thing I will say about the process is like, I think the advice I give myself and anyone that's questioning about when they're like, I can't write or I find it hard to write. is like, you need to figure out who you are energy wise. First off, let's just be clear about who you are, how you move through the world, how you walk to the store, the things that get in your way, just as life. And then say to yourself as an artist, I'm going to give myself a break because those same obstacles that get in my way of just when I need to get a task done are going to get in the way of when I create. So that's the first thing I had to come to terms with because when I was in the writing room with the other Baronesses who I just have to give a shout out to, they taught me so much. It's the other amazing, exciting thing about what we do and who we are, the age we're at. It's just like the childlike it's like the child comes back. It's just the, the level of collaboration, how we're allowed to learn from one another. It's such an exciting period. Um, so once you have that kind of figured out, maybe only 10%, I would say apply that to however you want to do your art. You're producing, you're writing, you're acting. Meaning when I looked at the other Baronesses, because they had come from, I don't want to speak for them, the other artists I witnessed, with the world that they'd come from, they could sit down and actually physically write. That was a task that they could take on. We could talk about things. And I realized I struggled with that. So I would look at other artists like, oh, this is how people write. They actually sit down and they open their computer and they write things. Not realizing I was writing all the time in Rada, but I was just doing it in completely different ways. So I just started to adapt Um, how the physical sketches came about. I would move. I would stand up. I would become, I would use what I had what I had learned. So obviously I, my background was acting. So, and this isn't uncommon. A lot of writers or a lot of some writers become the characters, but I would have to physically do them. No computer, nothing. I would have to physically do it. I'd have to be in muscle memory. It'd have to be, um, I'm really struggled with learning lines. So every line I learned had to have some sort of a muscle memory or emotional. It had to mean something. And then I realized mm-hmm. it was my writing. So that's what for my process is, Depending who I'm working with, collaboration is my favorite, is to respect what that collaboration is, how they work, you work. And then the second is don't be afraid to take in the day-to-day how you get to the grocery store into how you're going to write a piece or how you're going to produce something. Oh, be I love it. I love that so I, much. I love it. Yeah, because don't you guys ever feel that, you know, we all want to write, the, you know, we want to write, all of us write. And don't you feel, do you ever feel the blocks of just the day-to-day, what you think, how people write, and that you're not doing it, and you're immediately judging yourself, and now you're not writing anything? Yes. Yeah. You told me a long time ago that you that you act at, acted out, and that made me feel so much better, because all, all, everything I write, I have to, all of the characters I act at, in different right. voices, but I thought that that it wasn't, that was made me less legitimate, because every time you see a writer on TV, they're in, they're in a coffee shop, and they have a cigar, and they're typing. They're not acting. (laughs) You need more cigars. More cigars. Yeah. But I love that discussion, Meredith, so much because I think you're right. Like, it's almost like going back to your childhood. Like, I didn't learn by people talking at me. I couldn't get that information. But as soon as I was doing something, I'm like, oh, I understand that. 
So as an actor, why did I, why do I think I can write just like, bunk, 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 and this is how I type as well, which is not useful. Just no, slapping, well, you know, slapping a computer board can be kind of useful. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're right. Like it's not useful. And there's enough stories we tell ourselves to get us to stop us to do things. So why don't we just kind of work from a place where we already have a modicum of confidence, which is mm-hmm. movement or whatever, and then just take away that layer, that layer of judgment, you mm-hmm. know? And then sometimes I'll write so many scripts with the same thing of like the choices I make when I act or the, the joke of, not the joke of fearlessness. It's just like, well, I probably should write a lot. One, I need to get better. And one of them's got to stick. Like there's also that. <laughs> well, how are you? We had a, one of the community questions from Rebecca Gizmondi was, how are you with uh, self-sabotage and that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, I feel like everyone, like, really brutal sometimes and then sometimes really great but I'll tell you where I I've realized that I am good at it I feel like the more place I have the more comfort level I have I can be really bad at self-sabotage meaning financial or like I'm a single mom um oh, oh. but but when I for man going back to what you're saying when I had a child and I was in um a scenario where I needed to get ahead financially and so failures hit different than they do now. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. So where fearlessness really kicked in, and I think at RADA, because I raised money to go to school, so I had a responsibility. I felt the people that gave me money to go to school, where fearlessness was real, where I was like, yeah, fuck you, failure. I was like, I, self-sabotage can exist right now for me. Can you can you expand on that a little more? Because I know in order to get into the school, the tuition was crowdfunded. Can you just quickly run us through that I love that little so tidbit much. uh yes I was uh, under I uh it was expensive to go to that school I didn't m- m- have the finances to go so I find it actually really hard to talk about the uh okay no 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 I definitely will because I'm at a point in my life where I have to face it and it was one of the reasons I didn't want to do the walrus article the generosity that was shown to me just because I had a goal and a dream is a type of sometimes accepting that level of generosity, it's just moved me in such a way I've never come to terms with it. And I would like Aww. to take every opportunity to, one of the reasons I didn't talk about it was really selfish. It was just like, I was, it's not embarrassment. I don't know if it lives in the world of shame. I don't think so. It's just like, I didn't know how to say thank you. I didn't know how to say Aww. thank you as a woman of someone as a kid at 19, 20 that believed in something. And I mean, people that were mowing lawns were giving me money to go. I mean, that was real. Oh my God. So my responsibility to use their, their belief in me to have a dream that they couldn't, that maybe wasn't for them. Was I raised money across Canada to go to school by having a campaign, which my amazing sister uh, helped me do. And it was called absolute Rada. And yeah, was it inspired by the vodka? Yeah, it was. (laughs) I don't even know. And so that we had this campaign and I raised a lot of money to go to school and bet and Beverly who taught me theater, helped me out. They got me a charity number. So like, it was a really community involved process. And I think that one of the reasons coming home, even though I had success in the UK and I had worked for Shakespeare company, Shakespeare school theater and all these things that should have made it okay. It's just, it was never enough. And so then when I came home with Hazel, I felt like a complete, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? So then going back to self-sabotage mm-hmm. when I was creating Baroness, and in my parents' basement, I didn't have time for it. I gave myself 20 minutes a day to cry. And I don't want to act like this was like the hardest thing ever. Like people have, I don't want to get into that. I'm not saying that my life, I had no, somewhere. but it was your truth. This is my truth, but I had somewhere to go. Yeah. A lot of people don't. So I just want to be very clear about the privilege that I had in um, a time in my life, I, that I'm aware of that. But what I would do for self-sabotage is, it would take me and my daughter down so bad if I lived in that space. So I just couldn't. But on season three of Baroness, I worked my ass off at the sketch. I felt like I wrote five that were no good. I'll walk home and really beat myself up. I'm not saying one is more allowed. I just noticed that in myself. That, And that's why I'm one yeah. of them. great risk because I beat myself up less. This is like a fucking therapy session. For me too. Thank you. So I'll will send be. you the check right after yes. I finished. I appreciate it. Yes. So May fun. I just say I, we're 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 going to get to some some crazy questions in a minute that are fun. But may I just say I just want you to think of this that I know it's difficult to accept such generosity. However, 
you have to realize that by getting you through and getting you to Rada and then you coming back and then you creating Baroness, that what Baroness did for this country, A, and putting us on the map as far as successful sketch shows and women in comedy and, and how, how much it inspired audiences, but fellow artists in this country, that this person just suddenly came in and reinvented the game. That is enough payback times a thousand, my friend. Oh my God, you guys No hyperbole, no going, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, blow smoke up your butt, but I will. Or anywhere. Oh my God, just I'm all about a butt chat. So go there. Thank you. <laughs> but, but I just, like I just mean, community. you need to recognize that. There's the Thank community you. that you, like the community that has supported you. It's their victory too. Like, I do feel like I watch yes. you and go like, yes, like this is something that we can all benefit from because you <laughs> like pulled people together. And I don't know, there's an opportunity. Well, one, I think the greatest success of thank you and get good. First of all, thank you and good. I hear you. The greatest success I feel for Baroness was um, one, people felt seen and heard, which is really important. And two, that that came from collaboration. Yeah. And the thing about Canada, which blows my mind all the time, is the level of talent here is like, what? And people are like, do you want to go to the States and create? Yeah, sure. I'll create anywhere. But I'm like, do you guys know what's happening? Like, as much as, you know, Baroness did that, but it was, I wouldn't say easy. It was easy because the talent was next level. And I get more and more excited by the more artists I meet. So like, obviously, Pretty Hard Cases, I got to be around my cast. Oh my God, Amanda, that's how I met you. And Naomi, like, it's just been the best. But I am constantly like a child, wide-eyed in Canada. I'm like, the talent is next level. The writing, the commitment, the producing. It's, we don't have to be like anybody else. We don't have to look to another country and see, I mean, it's good. Let's look everywhere. Let's take in all information. But I feel like the stories that we have to tell and the way that we're able to tell them is so unique. And anytime a Canadian product starts to do it, don't you guys feel that? Like you can feel the vibration of when mm-hmm. the truth yes. is told. And when that happens and I'm so, I'm really big believer. Like I love collaboration. I'm like more of it. Let's all get down the field together. That's something that the three of us have talked about mm-hmm. in the past. Like, I feel great mm-hmm. success comes from everyone else's sort of success and talking about buttholes. Mean. Love it. <laughs> I love right. it. Okay, wait, we're gonna jump in. I honestly, okay. this could be a two parter because I'm I've got so much more, but it's gonna have to be over mimosas. That's all there is to it. Okay, um, good. But I reached out to the community. So I had like uh Lisa Berry asked um what was the most helpful advice you've got about being an actor and or creator? Tell the truth. Easy. Tell the truth. And not only to tell the truth, tell the truth in a way, like, even if that truth is like made up, I know that sounds a bit weird. Whatever you started to do, whatever. And we both, to do, like, writing, Amanda and I both went, what? Tell me again. No, I got it. I got it. So like for dry shampoo is a good example. Dry a sketch. There's a big sketch where I go, whenever a sketch have a big oh, yeah. psychop palette, any one time I'm just a bonkers thing. And even if the thing you want to write or do isn't bonkers, tell the truth. But you only know the truth is this is what is the spine of the thing that you created? And it's got to come back to that. So if the spine of thing that you created, the truth that you want to tell is being healthy and body is hard. Eating healthy is hard. That no matter how wild, I can go so wild because I've never let go of the truth. I can come back to that. And that's what makes it relatable. And you can go as subtle and as big and as broad or whatever level you want to get. If you constantly come back to what is the truth of that. And it's interesting. I learned that at the Academy. I learned that when I was seven with the Bet and Beverly. And then the Baroness has retaught me that in comedy. This is when I realized that sketch was no different. I was learning the same things what they were teaching at sketch and second city that I was learning at the World Shakespeare Company. And it was all uh-huh. like generosity, listening, and never waver from your truth. Mm. That helps, Paul. Is that clear? That's, That's so great. Glorious. That was extraordinary. Okay. Boom. Glorious. Next question. Okay, I have to. <laughs> Boom. Okay, Pal Carranza asked about work-life balance, which I don't know if balance exists. I feel like it's a constant like. So when people are like, oh, I'm just trying to have balance. But how do you find, because you're also a workaholic, you like to work hard. Don't date. Next question. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no you like- want to date though. You want to have like. Oh my God. I want to, especially like when you're perimenopausal, because you're just so horny all the time. It's like, 
it's like you're it's, it's the best because it's like you're 15 16 where you're just like give it to me but you have the knowledge of being 47 yes but that's the yeah. one piece that I'm not um great at so my work life balance I need more is really like my daughter and then my job but you see the thing is I fucking love my job I like know. I love you guys so blah 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 but not to be and also yeah. like don't you find like I agree we have it's like kind a of like okay yeah three of us go for brunch and suddenly it becomes like a production meeting or it becomes like you sorting out um I don't know like coasters and trying to teach us about Master. how stream, streaming works it was fantastic like that's uh, we love what we do so much it's not I don't know it's really tricky yeah I think the only thing where I miss out on is like uh because I um love my daughter I'm obsessed with that being a single mom I love it and uh I love my work so much that sometimes I don't get laid as much as I want there I mean you got time for that yeah yeah I do but I'm just so excited by this like menopausal space I'm like does this I hope this horniness lasts forever me too. I love this menopausal space. I love it. I love it. I want more of it. I, I want it. I love it. I agree. You know, and I think there's something that we're not talking about with menopause, which I love. It's like, you know, because there's a lot of downsides for sure. But there's a lot of downsides of men getting old. We can talk about what their balls look like at 47, 50. And I'll I'm take fun. pictures if you want. Take some pictures. Yeah, you got it, bud. Great balls. No problem. Balls, I love my lady. It's all good. But the thing is, the energy level, which I already have a lot of, but already there's this thing of when I was, you know, the freedom of like, oh, now I really don't care what I say. Oh yeah. I think that's sometimes, is that, I'm like, oh, is this just what men had always? They Mm. just would say something and walk away. And I'm like, I think that's part of the menopause situation as well. I also think I'm an immensely good street fighter now. I think my, the energy level and the anger is everyone's like, oh, that's really bad. I'm like, not bad, not bad. If you want to be, put me in a street fight. I just can't tell where it's like, oh no. (laughs) I'm like early block. stages dementia. Oh no, no, it's just perimenopause. Uh, God, or I love like, the oh, idea the heat is of being hot. I can't tell. <laughs> but I'm also on your gang. I'm on your gang. Um, Sedna okay. Sed- asked because Sedna was on the Pretty Hard Cases as a equity, diversity, inclusion producer. I know. It's yes. lovely. Fantastic. They're fantastic. Um, you that once you said that your fashion sense was that of a teenage boy. And I think you're actually wearing the outfit they were talking about. Yes, yes, yes. What do you think yeah. about that? Are those le- leopard? Yeah, leopard cords. Oh my God. And then a jean vest. I love it. No, I think I have a fashion sense of like a 12 year old boy. But like, I'm, but I'm 47 and horny. Mix it all up. Mix it all up. All right. Menopause. <laughs> I'm going to uh, introduce you to our closing okay, segment okay. that you are going to to love. And we haven't done this before, but it's very exciting. They're called the Blazing Questions. There are ten of them. <gasps> okay, I got these fast. Uh, yep. And uh, no, don't feel the pressure. Don't feel the pressure. I just want you to answer organically, okay. and uh, the best answer. And if the answer doesn't go well the podcast just shuts off. <laughs> no, okay, I'm going to use the no microphone pressure, that's friend. not plugged in. This is a microphone that's not plugged in. Oh, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Because okay, the other go. guests have a fake mic. Yeah. Amanda, do you want to take the first one? All right. Are you ready? Yep. I'm going to vomit. All See, right. this is the thing. i got to vomit first. The stakes have never been lower, my friend. <laughs> go. Bam. No, the stakes are really high. She's lying. Okay. What is your least favorite word? uh slime that's not true i just lied moist moist <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh who would you love 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 to work with i thought you said who would you love to have sex with okay uh, could be the same person you know what i would love just like the both of us in a scene together uh, the three of us would be great love i'll it. write it let's go next okay stay tuned i love this mic i, love I know it's mic. not attached to anything <laughs> no i just <laughs> It makes me want to add it into every single one of our, our interviews. I love it so much for this. Round. You know what else I did? I was so wanted to wear makeup and look good that I, Hazel told me my daughter about a blender and I used one of these. I didn't know how to use it. Yeah. One of those sponge things. I think you did right. You look, you look great. I think you did great. Okay. Three words to describe your life right now. On fire popcorn. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Popcorn that's on fire. Mm-hmm. 
One thing that turns you on creatively. I, I'm horny. I just keep thinking of creatively. Like, um, a great story. Oh, I love that. That's really nice. One thing that makes you feel powerful. I think I know the answer. A good shower. <laughs> <laughs> Was that it, Amanda? Was that what, what you were thinking? Gonna say? <laughs> What do you think? Very menopause. Oh, yeah. Very menopause. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I just talked about street fighting. Yeah. Very menopause and a good shower. It's a good mix because you'd be like, I smell out of only one armpit, which is a new thing about perimenopause. Love it. Um, do you ever Google yourself? Yes or no? Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, God, not anymore. Whoops. What happened the first time? I'm going to eat this. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Those um, things that you I, don't want to see. But I'll tell you what it did uh, do. It made me own taking a picture. I'll tell you that. Oh, you know, you're boy. Like, oh, you're funny. You know, you don't care about pictures. Now when there's a photo shoot, I work it like I'm fucking Cindy Crawford, 1993. I'm like, I'm owning this shit. That's what, that's what Googling yourself can do. Oh, that's a wonderful. Um, uh, extrovert or introvert? Uh, mix. I mean, isn't everyone... Yeah. Do you guys feel like, I know everyone's like, Meredith's an extrovert, but if I don't take some downtime and hide out, I got nothing to give. Same, same, same. Yeah. What's the one song recently that's moved you? There's this, this is sounds so weird. Even though I'm not dating, I was connecting with this guy and last night he sent me this song with an artist I've never listened to by Grimes. And it's not something I would ever listen to. It's not something that I would go to when I love music. And it was all of a sudden, uh, and it's called, it's called violence. It was so funny. Put me in the street. Like, and my mind, like, you know, like a good story. I was just saying inspired me. My mind, I'll, I'll write to music sometimes as well. And I write a lot to pictures, but my mind just went like a kid, like started to think of something else. So that whatever, I forget what the question was, but that's my answer. Love it. Next. Oh, I love Grimes. I love it. And I, and I write to her. Okay, go. All, all, all the time. Uh, and violence is a, one of the songs I listen to and I love it. Uh, what do you want to be reincarnated as? If it's a thing. If it was a thing, I'd want to be reincarnated as like a really s- strong, like warm summer wind. But the kind that you're not expecting, the kind oh, that you're like. I love that answer. And- that you're kind of like, you know, those days. I know and exactly it, what you're talking you about. Like if you're all caught up into something, but it's summer, but, and it's nice, but all of a sudden this sort of warmish breeze, but it's warming. <laughs> like when you need it and it hits you and you're like, what's happening? It's like a small little get. Amazing. I used to Meredith. think when I was little that I would never, I think it's pretty common, like me in relationships and being kissed. It's like, I always knew I would struggle in that area. So did you ever think that the wind was like, being like, don't worry, you'll have this. No, I've said too much. Yeah. That. Do you remember oh, that? This is kid, so like beautiful. the wind had this like language. Yes. You was a kid that you were like, oh, so yeah, that's what I want to be reincarnated as. Final question yes. is that was so beautiful. What would you give it all up for? My daughter. I know. I know. I know how that sounds. I know sound? how that sounds. It sounds like you're a caring mother. Well, it sounds like I don't want anyone to think that everything ends and begins with your kids because it doesn't and I think it's different for everyone but for me uh I just got to give a huge shout out to her and I think maybe a bit like what Amanda was saying that uh because of how much I love her she's made me love myself yes yeah. that's yeah. it goodbye I'm putting my you mic you mic drop. This is the first our first blazing questions, and I'm going to say it now. No one will do it better. Not only did you <laughs> you didn't get cut off, you've you've ruined it. Now we've got to change it because no one's going to talk. Oh my god! Breeze, I feel like the first two I could have, but again, you know what? The first two were terrible. The first two were terrible. But the first you, you straight you up, but I, I got on a roll. We weren't going to, you know what, Amanda, we didn't talk about this, but I feel like um, it's something that the three of us talked about a lot. I'd love to add it to every interview, which is um, like a, a, a shout out to somebody else. Like who's somebody that we can shine a light on at the end of this to sort of, you know, put on, put, I don't know what the expression is, just 
elevate their world, you know? Like how you said, remember Meredith, we were talking about like when you go into oh, yeah. pitch meetings, don't forget to drop the name of a couple people that are also working on scripts. And I think that's really, I don't know. I love that you mentioned that. And I thought, so do we want to do that now? Yeah. What do you want? Who do you want to just raise like awareness about? Oh, geez. I know there's a lot. So just choose one. It's hard. I'll help you out. Uh, Julie Black, who is an actor, singer. She was on Pretty Hard Cases. Was she? Yes, she was. Um, uh, last night, uh, sang at the uh, NBA All-Stars game, sang the national anthem representing Canada. And it was amazing. amazing. Remember when Whitney Houston sang... Um, the American national anthem and like it went viral for when things didn't go viral. Uh, that's what I felt last night was. So doing big things. Wonderful. Congratulations, Amazing. Julie. Shout out. Yeah, Julie. I think for me, when I go, it's because there's so many, yeah. I'll be straight up. Uh, they're doing really well, but uh, one to watch. And in terms of telling the truth and different types of stories, and I want to see more writing from them as Trisha Black. Yes. <gasps> yes. Like, I just got to say that that is a human being, another East Coaster that yeah. I will, you know, I'll definitely street fight for that one. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. Uh, my dear friend, Nicole Manick, who's the wardrobe costume designer of Pretty Hard Cases, and she has an English degree and was a writer and has just started writing. And I think has written one of the best one hours I've ever read and just decided was like, I'm going to start writing again. So I think those are two. Love it. For different reasons that I'm like, bam, Naomi, what you got? I'll give you one. Um, it, you know, I'm on this uh, new kids show coming up called Popularity Papers. And uh, there's a gal that plays my daughter, Anna Marodin, who is just like a bright, like a star, like a bright yeah. star. One of the first things she said to me, I came into the uh, like the green room and she was like, I'm playing your daughter. Or no, she said, you're my mom. And then she, she, she took a breath and she went, what's your process? She's like 18 years okay. old. I'm like, I love you already for talking. Like, it's so, she used the word like, process. Selfie. check this TikTok. She was like, let's talk about process. Nice. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. pretty exciting. I love what you guys are doing. I, I just would like to say that. I love what you're doing. You're both so inspiring and just taking the time. And thank you for uh, having me on. I was going to say something. I negative. love that you're closing it for us. I love you're closing it for us. We'll just, I'm just going to go. I've got to go. Anyway, you're all really great. I'm seeing leaps into her bed. Oh, you're the <laughs> thank best. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Oh, we'll hang out soon. Yes. yes. You're coming yes. over to my house on Sunday. Yeah. You both I'll be there. Okay. Uh, I love you so that much. You no, we just think job. you're the best. And thank you. Thank you. Thank That's you. it. Okay. I love you. Bye. Bye. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. (laughs) I just had on our first one. Our first one. She was a a dynamo and dropping mad, like, wisdom nuggets that I didn't expect all the way through. There's so many of them. I wanted to be like, no, wait, no. You know what I should have done? We should have recorded next time. I should have taken notes. That would have been great. And they could review it. Next time, next time, next time. Uh, Um, I didn't didn't anticipate so many, so many nuggets. Yeah, tell me something you learned. Because remember we talked about like Uh, wrapping up. Oh my God, I learned, uh, I learned, um, I, I learned to make fear your friend yeah. that we all experience it and it impacts us to make it your friend. Uh, I learned how important it is to just tell the truth. You can sort of go on as far away from it and be wacky in comedy or make strange choices in drama. But ultimately if your character is grounded or your writing is grounded in the truth, you can take a lot of liberties. Um, I, I learned that I can now street fight because I'm in perimenopause. So much stuff. I, my favorite thing was, was the, um, the recognition of who you are and and honor that rather than trying to be something mm. it's it's being in your own lane right so i'm watching like somebody else who's prolific as a writer a certain way but i could be a prolific as a writer a different way and to recognize We're your honest. way yeah your way amanda this is so fun huh congratulations we did <laughs> congratulations young lass um I think we did really well. That's what I'm going to say at the end of everyone. I'm just going to say congratulations. I think I we did exceptionally. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, 
I mean, honest to goodness, ever since I met you when you were doing the show with Matt, the seed show. Yeah. And I was like, I just need to be like around that because you were so vivacious. You are so vivacious and you're so energetic. And and then also we had jokes. Like we had jokes like right away. And I just knew I'd love you forever. I love you too. All right. Well, uh, that's it. Uh, next one's up soon. I can't wait. Thank you for everyone for tuning in. Is there any shout outs that we need to do? Yeah, don't forget to follow Meredith at Meredith McNeil. And if you want to find out anything more about the Blaze Sessions or about Firecracker Department, go to firecrackerdepartment.com or on all our socials at firecrackerdept. And that's about it. You're the best. See you next time, my friend. Thank you, everyone. The Blaze Session is hosted and produced by myself, Naomi Sneekas, and Amanda Bruegel. Jennifer Moroz is our consulting producer and cheerleader extraordinaire. Pal Carranza is our communications manager and content creator, with support from Chelsea McKenzie and Morgan Walker. Original graphics by Vicki Briarbeer and Becca Buddygag. Anna Marodin is our firecracker of all trades, with doing our YouTube artistic management, our newsletter, and also content creation. Jennifer Rowley is our amazing sound designer and basically editing wizard. Rebecca Gismani does our show notes and additional writing. Sedna Fiati does our outreach and consultation management. Shrishti Jayaswal is our video editor. Music by Sophia Canali and Arthur Kaplan. Big, big thanks to the entire Firecracker Department Actioneer team that keep this community going. That's Veronica Barton, Anita McFarlane, Pau Carranza, and Lisa Lafferty. For more information about the Blaze Sessions or the programs, workshops, panels that are offered through the Firecracker Department, Go to firecrackerdepartment.com and follow us at firecrackerdept on all your platforms. If you enjoyed our episode today, leave a comment or maybe something one of our guests said really like sparked some inspiration. We'll share this episode with a friend. And if you didn't like the episode, you know what? Just keep it to yourself. No one likes a complainer. Now go on out there, take some creative action, and then share it with the Firecracker Department community. We'd love to hear what you're working on. Bye for now. Hi, this is Veronica Martin, head of Firecracker Mentorship. Thanks for listening to The Blaze Sessions.